Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Rain Steinberg. He's the CEO and co-founder of ArcaFunds. Rain, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Selfishly, I'm really fascinated by what you guys are doing at ArcaFunds. But before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Um, I was born in New Orleans, but grew up um, most of my life in uh, New York City okay. from the age of five on. Okay. I'm um, so an East Coast guy, and that was uh, my early years. Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Sure. Um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, okay. um, Wharton undergrad. I took finance. Okay. Um, so it's a BSE with a concentration in finance. And I've always had an interest in financial services, uh, our family, was very involved in financial services, both okay. my brothers, sisters, and father. Okay, so yeah, kind of grew up around it then, right? And you th and you were like, why not go into that? It, it, it kind of why not go into it. It was really what we were exposed to from like a very uh, young age. You know, we worked um, no summer camps generally. It was work at a family company, either mail uh, mailroom, actuarial department. Um, so, you know, it was an unusual uh, upbringing, but it was steeped in uh, finance from the beginning. Now, that's cool. So you graduate. Walk me through your career up until ARCA funds. Sure. Um, so left college and was really coming out into the teeth of the Internet bubble. Okay. Popping. Yep. So this was 2000, 2001. Okay. Um, my brother, um, Jonathan Steinberg, who I co-founded Wisdom Tree with, okay. was um, Wisdom Tree came out of another company, another public company called Individual Investor Magazine. Okay. Um, and the magazine was to provide investors with unbiased uh, financial information for independent investing. This had, you know, dried up in the net, in the internet bubble. Okay. And he had this idea to use the kind of the intellectual property of individual investor um, as the backbone for a new type of fund family business, which was, which became Wisdom Tree. Interesting. Okay, so you did that for a long time. Walk us through that journey and then what happened to the company and, and what made you go off and do ARCA funds? Sure. Um, so yes, it was a long time. It was about 10 years. And the the, yeah, the journey was interesting, and it has some parallels to what I'm doing today. Sure. So I'll stick to those. Um, but the interesting part about it was uh, the ETF wrapper, if you know anything about it or your listeners, it's a basically a structure that allows a mutual fund to trade like a stock. Um, okay. And there's some great benefits liquidity-wise, uh, tax efficiency. And the interesting thing about it was at the time, um, there was a company called iShares that had locked up all the intellectual property um, for indexes. Think S&P, um, Dow Jones. And there was this uh, thought at the time that there was no other intellectual property to put into these ETFs. Okay. Um, Jono and my idea was, what if you could make a better index, uh, since none of these indexes were designed as investment vehicles? Okay. Um, so that was really the genesis of the, uh, the Wisdom Tree family, to create a better index. And we, we chose dividend weighting. We did a lot of research there. But this is where the interesting parts, I think, for financial services and what we're doing today is, that we really thought a, a, a more tax-efficient wrapper with this great intellectual property and a better risk-adjusted returns would be very popular to the financial uh, industry. Okay. Um, everybody would want to fund this. That was not the case. Um, <laughs> it took us two years to raise the money wow. uh, for Wisdom Tree. And yeah, and financial service companies um, wanted to take the intellectual property and put it into high-fee product since their sales teams could not sell low-fee product and they didn't really see the passive revolution coming yet. Okay, interesting. So that was my, that, yeah, that was my first uh, kind of introduction that just because you have a great idea or, you know, think it should appeal to somebody, 
um, especially something that's disruptive to their current business, it, it might not. <laughs> and you yeah, might sure, fair enough. Resistance there. Yeah. Um, so that was the first lesson um, for both startups and disrupting things that you're, it's going to be very hard for the established players um, to get behind a truly disruptive uh, technology. So how did you eventually then, get somebody to to go for it? Because it took two years. So how yeah. did you eventually convince somebody? That's actually interesting, too. So we spoke to a lot of people. The person that ended up um, being the person that funded Wisdom Tree, who's still the chairman of the board and been very instrumental in its success, was Michael Steinhardt. Okay. And Michael Steinhardt is a somebody on the level of a Warren Buffett in uh, returns over wow. periods of time. I think his average annual returns after fees was something like 24.5% for 30 years. Wow. Like, like a crazy, of, right? yeah, a tr- yeah. <laughs> master, you know, market wizard, masters of the universe type of numbers. Okay. Um, one of the, the pioneers in active management. So then how and did he you, saw oh, the, keep going. Sorry. Oh, good, good. No, no, good. No, yeah. I was just going to say like, how did you convince him? Um, he, it did not actually take much convincing. Um, we got to him through somebody else. It was a introduction. It was actually kind of a low point in our, um, what we thought the viability of our business was. We had actually gone quite down, far down the road with a very well-respected asset management firm that got to the chairman level. And there they said no. Wow, and we sucks. started speaking to Michael Steinhardt through, yeah, through an unrelated introduction. Wow. And he immediately saw that if you could do something like this, passive investing, but still have the potential to beating the market, because he didn't, just doing the market was not interesting to him. Okay. Um, beating the market was interesting to him. So that heroic nature immediately made sense to him. Um, my brother's complete, and this is another um, piece of advice I'll give people starting up, tenacity. Okay, um, sure. And, you know, and stick-to-itiveness in the face of adversity um, is incredibly important. Um, and to not, not, not to say you can't be flexible or change your vision or, you know, move, but through the core principles of it. And that was, um, this was low fee, great investment product for investors. That's what makes him tick and makes me tick. Okay. Um, putting that intellectual property into high fee product, even though people were willing to give us 50, a hundred million dollars to do that, we would not do that. And he specifically would not do that. Interesting. Um, and we could have de-risked, yeah, we could have gotten a lot of money beforehand if we would agree to do that. Yeah, I guess, how did you make that call? Because I think a lot of people would cave. Um, a full disclosure, okay. I did not. Okay. Uh, so in the, in the partnership relationship, Jono is my older brother. Okay. And I certainly, as a younger person coming out of college, sure. who had not been paid or had any money in probably 16 months at this period, sure. there was certainly um, the siren call of millions of dollars and food yeah. were much more on, on my mind <laughs> sure. at the time. But he absolutely would not. Wow. And um, that's, how, that's how he made the call, that he would never compromise on the fee structure of the products, and they would always be fee appropriate. Um, and I would like to say that if I had that ability, I would have made that call. I hope I would have. Um, and but it was very much his stick-to-itiveness. But it taught me a lot about not compromising on the important things. There's other things about getting things done. Sure. But the core vision and what you're doing, if you're trying to build low fee product, and that's the core value proposition, yeah. you cannot then build high fee product. Interesting. Okay. So how did you basically pay your bills for that 16 months, two years? Um, that was help from, so I lived with another brother. Okay. We have a very close uh, financial awesome. family. Me and my other brother were living together. We're actually okay. living in the same building as Jono. Um, I had help from parents. I had made some money. Not everything had evaporated in the dot-com boom gotcha. for me. I'd made quite a little bit of money that Somehow I managed not to ride all the way down in that craziness. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I had some very yeah limited uh, resources that I made work. Talking about you know bar mitzvah money that sure. was um, rolled forward, um, but it, you know it was definitely uh, very tight. But I I was helped out by my family for sure as well. Okay, so what made you guys actually start Arca Funds, and what exactly is it? 
Sure. Um, so ARCA funds is a, I would like to describe it as, you could think about it as a black rock um, for crypto or a wisdom tree for crypto. Um, and what made me start it was, and then we can describe that a little more, which are those are full service financial firms um, for the crypto space. And that's where crypto or blockchain, where we're addressing it both as an asset class that's allowing, giving people the ability to invest in it in the most appropriate vehicles possible, and also using blockchain technology to build novel products similar to those built at Wisdom Tree, but using instead of the ETF wrapper, using blockchain as the new wrapper. Okay, so why did you choose uh, blockchain? Sure. So this was interesting. Um, this goes back to Wisdom Tree as well. Okay. Um, during the financial crisis, um, even though we had no counterparty risk, all of our um, assets were at you know, State Street, Bank of New York, things like that. Um, our stock traded from $10 down to sub a dollar. And our, we almost went out of business. It was very close. Wow. And in that drawdown. Yeah. And really, it woke me up to the idea that even if you're doing everything right on a company level, um, you're taking on systemic and vicarious risk by just being in systems, complex financial systems that you probably don't understand. And even somebody that was, you know, very deep in the financial system did not understand um, the interconnectedness of you know, the bear loans and AIG and all this, you know, re like all this risk that was spread everywhere that ended up showing up in our drawing down 90%. Okay. So that, le that lesson right there, that there is systemic risk um, and all of this risk is being driven by people and might have motives and reasons and other power calls on them than you would think but you are still exposed to it. That was a lesson that I learned almost fatally, but okay, you know, at a, at a great price, and we just skated through. Um, and then after that, when Bitcoin came on my radar, yeah. the idea of programmatic money, you know, um, there were all these questions about how the Fed behaved and um, what were the political interests and were we creating moral heart hazard by bailing out Wall Street? Sure. The idea of a money um, that could be programmed um, and you set it free and there's no call on it. Nobody can influence it. Nobody can change the number minted um, that they'd solve the double spend problem, but not by a trusted institution, but cryptographically by proving this stuff on code in the public. So like this was revolutionary in its concept and it immediately resonated towards me that, oh my God, if we could, if you could actually have institutions or a system that ran like this, um, that was transparent, um, not accountable to any one person, not controllable by any entity, how how fantastic would that be? I mean, that's that's revolutionary. Sure, interesting. Um, the that that was so that was my introduction to it. The problem was, um, I started trading a little Bitcoin. Okay. It was so nascent, yes, yes. Um, that to almost be not even considered a usable product. For somebody with like my technical and financial yeah. background, the difficulty of even understanding what was going on, um, you know, wallet, custody, things like that were unheard of then. Um, it, it took me, you know, a couple of days to set up a wallet. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was, you know, and there wasn't really that much money like attached to it yet. So it, it seemed, you know, much more innocent, the whole thing, and like an experiment. And I made some money, and then it crashed. And I thought, you know, congratulations um, on your sageness for avoiding that. I mean, I think the crypto I held would be worth $20 million today. So, haha, uh, -ha on me. Got, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, exactly. So that very much made me think that this, this time was not there. Um, but in 2016, when I was out in California, uh, dealing with companies that needed alternative payment payment systems, okay. um, I revisited the ecosystem, and it had very much evolved into a usable, you know, a real thing that was incredibly sure. um, diverse and with all this energy. And that's when I started looking at how to address it, and that was the beginning of Arca. Okay, so how do or what do you guys do now, and and how do people actually invest with you? Sure. So. 
the structure of Arca is there's a holding company, okay. Arca, and then underneath it um, are various um, kind of divisions, you want to think about them, but really house um, different vehicles to accomplish different things. Okay. Um, so on the investment side, so this is treating crypto as an investment. People that want to own Bitcoin for potentially its appreciation or Ether or whatever. Sure. Um, yep. This is much more difficult than other asset classes. People are used to things like stocks, bonds, gold, anything else that they have a understanding of how custody works, ownership. Digital assets are much more different. We are not really set up as a society, both mentally or our structures, to be our own custodians. That's sure. where your keys to your wallet, and I'm not sure how familiar listeners are to this, but if you lose them or your seed words, yeah. they are unrecoverable. Yeah, and people are gone. used to having like yeah. a, a customer service experience where you call up Chase, change my password, or um, this was a bad transaction or fraud. Yeah. That is not, you know, the the, the state of, of reality for a lot of these things. Sure. Um, so we created a hedge fund product, and okay. we think it's appropriate, the vehicle hedge funds, um, to allow qualified institutional buyers um, and high net worth individuals who are really the only people that I think are appropriate to speculate in this um, as an investment right now because it's just too volatile and risky. I don't okay, want to see retail investors in this immature market um, putting large things that they can't afford to lose into this. So I, like, you have to be, the way I would advise people on their crypto investment is that is potentially a zero, okay? Yeah, so if you can't so. afford to absolutely lose it, um, do not make that. And that's why we think sophistication uh, for just us. I'm not saying retail people can't, but for other people managing their money, I only want to be dealing with those type of sophisticated investors that can potentially you know, have a zero on this and are looking at it as a small allocation um, you know, to this space. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. You're, you're right. It, it's still... It is way better than it used to be. It can be still kind of mm -hmm. clumsy, and you still need yep. to be somewhat technical to actually buy cryptocurrency. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I would say so, yes, because, again, um, people are not used to the level of custodianship that they have. They don't really understand. And people, it's a very interesting thing. I highly encourage everybody to get a wallet, okay. to um, start you know, trading, not trading, but, you know, have a little bit of this to understand what it means to be, to have something that is completely yours. It's, it's not physically in your, you know, possession, but you have a call on a public ledger somewhere, which is similar to like a bank account, except it's not JP Morgan or sure. Morgan Stanley saying that something moves from here to here. It's you. And then it's verified by all these, you know, um, you know, unattached third parties, miners and things like that. So it's a completely different experience and ecosystem. And I highly encourage people to start understanding it because this is what really motivates me. It's, it's returning um, people's financial freedom to themselves. Um, I don't think it ha I don't think it happens overnight. Uh -huh. um, and I think it's a very long process and where I talk about things in thousands of years here, we've been centralizing our society and building centralized structures for a very long time. Sure. Um, these are not undone very quickly. We just had the 10th anniversary of Bitcoin. Sure. Um, you know, these are drops in the bucket of human time. Yeah, so interesting. I, this is, yeah. So I want people to experiment with this. I think that we can, that there is a world where if you do this incrementally and, you know, advance the ball down the field slowly and rationally, you get to a place where people are used to being their own custodians, have taken some of that financial power back, and really understand, um, you know, what that means. And there, you know, there's all sorts of great things that happen on fees, transparency, liquidity, portability, not having your money able to be seized potentially, um, like all these wonderful things um, that this stuff does. But in that transition period, which I think we're going to be in for a while, and this is what I like, Arc is trying to solve for. Um, you have to get both sophisticated and unsophisticated investors used to this stuff and used to being their own custodians. Yeah, I, I agree. In your experience, mm -hmm. though, 
how scared are people to put their money into cryptocurrency? Because if you read just the headlines, forget about the real, uh, the reality, sorry. If you read just the headlines, it seems like there's a new uh, wallet getting hacked almost daily or, or a few times a month, right? Yeah. So how do mm-hmm. your clients actually view the space and what are their biggest kind of risks and, and things that they bring up with you that you maybe want to demystify a bit? Sure. See, that's, that is what people don't understand is that is very much the risk of cryptocurrencies and generally where these things go wrong and you hear about hacking. Yeah. These are generally centralized points of failure um, that are actually more centralized than the, the current financial system that we're trying to replace. So things like exchanges, um, places where you keep your keys. Yeah. This isn't actually hacking the cryptocurrency. It's kind of hacking the structures and things around it that we as people interact with it. Right. And a lot of it hinges on our own, you know, problematic security footing and the way we go about this stuff. So, like, Bitcoin's never been hacked in the sense right. that Bitcoin's been hacked. You know, exchanges like Mt. Gox, places yeah. that keep it, have been hacked. Right. So that I want to demystify that aspect of it. Oh. Um, then, so when we deal with our institutional clients, and this is what's really interesting, is the number one thing that they're trying to overcome that I think we solve for is really dealing with people that understand that right now, at least, their crypto allocation is part of a much broader allocation. Um, they're talking about a 1% potential allocation when they have 99% left in the traditional financial system. I got you. The... They need people um, that speak the language of talking about this as an allocation in the broader, you know, overall allocation. Right. How does this interact with the macro environment? Okay. What are we doing as risk managers? This is us, ARCA, on the hedge fund side. How do we approach risk management and custody and security to make, um, you know, their, their generally intermediaries for client money, um, make their clients feel comfortable? Um, and that has been kind of our secret sauce so far has just been very diligently uh, looking to the way they view the world right now, understanding that while we think that a tremendous amount of things are going to transfer over this, but it's a long process. And it's about making feel, people feel comfortable with the teams that are doing this, the, the things that are in place, um, making them understand that you really don't want to, while experimenting with this, if you don't want to go deep, um, especially at an institutional level, where institutions generally don't get fired or money managers don't get fired for potentially not making 50 or 100 basis points more or less. You will have a problem, the job security-wise, if you were a financial advisor and you allocated some money and it disappears. Yeah, fair. So, you know, exactly. So that overcoming that level of um, their comfort with our processes that we approach this as an institutional level, that we are not um, trying to get rich quick, that we are trying to move the needle very slowly, um, that we are appreciative of their needs and their concerns. Um, that has already been um, the, the, the message that's been well-received. And what's interesting also, the type of advisor that has been more receptive to our message has not been a younger, more technologically savvy advisor. It's been more somebody... Um, older that has been through a few drawdowns like 08 or 2000 right. or you know a currency crisis that sense things about the broader markets right now and you see what's happening um, with the U.S. equity markets and more um, more around globally the real drawdowns they have sensed some real leverage and problems in the system the idea that you are 100% leveraged the financial system even if you go all to cash resonates with them and the idea that this might be an uncorrelated asset outside of it might be um is very interesting to them and all they want to look at is good partners that know what they're doing just like they don't understand like a healthcare business um that it's about like script writing and hospital administration and management you trust a manager that understands it to do that in this space there are less people like us that speak their language for that no, that's actually really quite fascinating because you're right. And, and I think part of it too, being involved in a global currency, whatever uh, cryptocurrency you pick, is actually uh-huh. really innovative 
in itself, right? And basically, if if you can just use your digital currency anywhere in the world and you don't have to worry about conversions and, and it just kind of takes care of itself, it seems like, to me, that's the future. Maybe not any of the cryptocurrency out today. Maybe all the cryptocurrency that's out today. We have no idea. But I, I think it's a really, really fascinating space, right? And I think crypto is the future. I, I don't know if the future is 5, 10, 50, 100 years out until maybe that's all we use, or maybe it's a bit of both, but I, I really think it's going to have a big future. Fair to say, obviously, you must agree with me. I 100% agree with you, and you're thinking about it exactly right. And that's where so, some of the interest and dynamics and confusion, all those things that are you're talking about are what's interesting here, because these aren't just financial products. Sure. They aren't just technology products. Yeah, interesting. They're a combination of them, you know? And this is, like you say, you made a great comment there. Um, maybe all of them exist, maybe none of them. We are right now kind of at this Cambrian explosion of evolution here. Um, we don't really know who the winners are going to be. We're actually having real-time experiments in people's economic behaviors. Yeah, we don't know what incentive structure is. Like, it's fascinating. Yeah, that, you're right. Well, to be 100% honest with you, you and I could name a, come up with a cryptocurrency right now and launch it tomorrow. And people could buy it. We could. It's more complicated yeah. than that, but that's an oversimplification of it, right? And not, it, it not could much do more well. Complicated, honestly. Yeah, I guess. Not okay, much, that's fair. Not, yeah. And could you yeah. imagine if it lasts I mean, 100 you, years? Why? Uh, right? Yeah, it actually it actually could. Um, you would like you're probably right in saying that it would be, take a little bit more to have one that had the utility and the popularity to drive it. Sure. But that but you're absolutely right in the 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 interest of this that the the gatekeepers of this and this is where some of the regulators are you know have a problem of all this is you used to have to go through these structures just mechanically to do things like this. Yeah. You don't anymore. Just because you don't have to mechanically go through exchanges and things like that does not mean they're not securities sure. or you you or yeah, have now avoided breaking the law. But a lot of the actual barriers to people just being like, hey, I'm going to launch a currency. What did that mean 20 years ago? You couldn't do it at yeah. all. Yeah, interesting. Now we could do it tomorrow. Yeah. No, it's wild. Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, successful entrepreneurs, and merchandisers worldwide. Now, your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com. The other thing that I want to kind of go back to that you, you brought up something that mm -hmm. I kind of keep replaying in my head a few minutes ago is everybody sure. should get a little bit of cryptocurrency to understand it. And tell me if my thinking on this is correct. You say that yeah. because it's it's a lot easier to learn something at the beginning than when it becomes credibly or it's been around a long time and it gets incredibly complicated. But if you get in early on, you understand it, as it gets more complicated, it's way easier to keep up on the complexity than if you're just thrown in the deep end and you're like, okay, I got to learn 20 years of how cryptocurrency works. Is that kind of your thought behind it? Or, or what exactly was your rationale behind saying that? Yes, correct. There's that aspect of it for sure. Okay. That um, there's, this is, and when I go back to that whole societal shift, that this is something where we have become very accustomed to giving over certain aspects of power to uh, centralized authority okay. and using their them to do it. And now this is the idea of bringing it back. We're not really prepared to do it. So my encouragement is, A, it takes a long time. You know, you don't want to start to learn this kind of, you know, it's almost like a way of being, not just a learning something. So to understand like about private keys and whatever, yeah, you'd love to learn that lesson when you lose a dollar yeah. in Bitcoin sure. than when you've transferred over a million dollars of net worth. Yes. <laughs> then you lose. 
Yes, learning that in a cheap way, um, yes. but also there's a, like a fundamental shift about it. But the other part why I say they, everybody should have a bit exposed to it because my our thesis is that right now, especially on the investment side, is that you are exposed, whether you like it or not, 100% um, to financial system risk. And if you look at places like Turkey, um, yeah, you know, like absolutely. where you've had – Turkey is a real country. Yeah. By sitting in cash, you've had 50% of your purchasing power deteriorate. Um, it, you Right now that yeah. there is so much debt, there is so much leverage in the world – Financial uh, products are so complicated. I don't think people can just afford to be um, just in this system and just not have knowledge of it. So my thesis, and this is the thing that's resonating with both sophisticated and unsophisticated um, people in this space, is that get off zero, um, get a small allocation to this, just so you can understand it, how it works, the mechanics of it, because this actually might become germane to a, a store of value or something outside of this system way fast. And sure. it's not the type of thing, like you say, that you want to learn at that point. You would much rather have the processes and at least have some you know, knowledge and facility about this now, not in an emergency. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, and the other thing too, and it, it would be very, very challenging and probably easier in some cities and and maybe not even possible at all, but you could basically pay for a lot of things in your day-to-day with crypto these days in, in a lot of cities. Have you found that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That is changing. I mean, we're, it's different here in the U.S. Sure. Um, where in real world um, crypto, there's not as many, but if you, you can almost use, you could go to a place like Japan okay. and use uh, Bitcoin almost exclusively. Um, to pay for almost everything, which, um, which is really interesting. You, yeah. Pardon? No, go ahead. Sorry. Sure. Um, I was just saying you you could also there are crypto backed ATM cards um, that connect directly to a wallet, you know, and liquidate that into dollars and let let you use them in the real world right now. All of the hooks and the way we interact with the real world are starting to be integrated, um, but but it's happening um, for sure. So why do you think the U.S. is is a bit behind some other parts of the world? Sure. I would say part of the benefit, um, and it's like a double-edged sword. Okay. First of all, we do have the reserve currency of the world. Right. Um, where that is going or not, <laughs> um, long-term on that, um, unclear. You sure. see what happens right now with a Fed raising rates. Yeah. And emerging markets, a dollar, a dollar returning to the U.S. type of environment, very strong for the dollar and uh, very disruptive for other countries. Um, so I think that being the absolute um, established financial premier place makes you much less um, desirous for disrupting that. So it's similar to my the people I was dealing with in the financial service industry, okay. the high fee business people, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of um, real desire to disturb the current system. We are, I think, the ultimate beneficiaries of it. Yeah. Um, secondly, is our regulatory system, while excellent, is not fast moving. Um, okay. We took yeah, two years to get our wisdom tree um, products through, and right. this is all appropriate. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but that it's a very deliberate process and they would prefer much rather to get things right and do them slowly than potentially like lose some business or drive it elsewhere. That may have to change because we've never seen something that evolves this quickly um, or moves this quickly or is not constrained by borders or things like that. So the idea that, a slow moving environment, you could potentially have all crypto companies just saying, Hey, we don't want to deal with the nebulous or slow moving us regulatory environment. We're going to go to places like Malta and things like that, which have their own hosts of issues. But I think that those are the kind of two things that this is the financial service capital of the world. Dollar is King everywhere. Um, and our regulatory bodies are, you know, set to really maintain, um, the way things are, not really set up to, you know, 
huge disruptive moves. Yeah, okay. No, that makes sense. But do you think the U.S. government or big kind of financial institutions will will build their own crypto? Like, they have to, I think, at some point. Sure. And this is where, you know, you can get to differences of crypto, blockchain, what does it actually mean? So, like, if the U.S. government built a, let's call it a digital currency, okay. where it was still centralized, um, and let's say had all the technological functionality of a cryptocurrency, let's say the smart contracts and self-executing stuff of Ethereum and had some real utility around it, but was still controlled by a central thing like the Fed, where yeah. its decision-making was o- opaque, um, what its actual assets were was opaque. That would still be similar to the current situation, not necessarily utility or functionality of it, but you would still have some of the same problems of a systemic risk um, type of problem that, you know, that's what Bitcoin is kind of trying to solve, removing this idea of store of value from, you know, a nation where it has its own set of, you know, goals. Um, what motivates um, the full have very little understanding right now for the way the financial system works, but we're actually all um, quite tied to it and you know levered to decisions they make yeah interesting so i I know this is probably really hard to guess but where do you think it's gonna go because i i think it's gonna get a lot easier it's gonna be more widely accepted i I think like people like yourself that are actively out in the community promoting this to both sides of the investment spectrum from people that know what they're doing to people that don't know and everybody in between. But do you have any predictions on, on where these things are going? Maybe not necessarily like you should buy this Bitcoin over this or this crypto over this crypto, but like, do you, what do you kind of see that is potentially coming that maybe, you know, the average Joe doesn't think about every day? Sure. The way I see it and what's interesting to me and where I see it potentially going is when you think about the internet, Um, in the early stages of the internet. Um, Before then, you really had real friction with the movement of information. Um, You know, you send a letter, a fax, a FedEx, all these things just to send information around. Um, Fast forward to now, from that first email that was sent by like DARPA, you now have pretty much frictionless, free transfer of information around the world, right? Yeah. So, like, all these things that, you couldn't imagine communicating with anybody in the world, um, you know, infinite uh, access to knowledge through things like Wikipedia, all these things. So this is the complete, um, you know, freedom and uh, crushing the costs of distribution of in- information. What I see blockchain and crypto is, is similar to the internet, but not for just information, but for value. Yeah, and there's some complexity that goes into this, you know, with, you know, value isn't just represented by ones and zeros. There's actually physical things. And we're not even dealing with now just information. When you talk about value, you're talking about people's net worth and all the stuff that goes along with that. But what I, where I see this is going is kind of the internet of transferring value around. So to make the transfer ownership and movement of things of value, whether it's actual physical representations of something like a part of a, a stock or a bond or ownership of a company or to something that's completely digital like Bitcoin, which is just the representation of a scarce thing, right? That now the transfer of that and the cost and the ability to move that has become infinitely more liquid, infinitely more divisible outside of exchanges. So all of this stuff that kind of resided in these areas like New York, London, these financial centers, I see the kind of the power and like access that those places have gathered to them dissipating back to um, a more free and fair level playing field where, you know, you're able to transfer stuff of value to people in the cheapest, most efficient way of great safety um, without a bunch of middlemen, um, you know, taking a piece. Um, so that's what I see. I see, um, you know, more, um, just wealth transfer and creation, not necessarily accruing in a financial system, but more to other parts of the society that are benefiting um, by this technology.
Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I, I think at some point it's just going to get so common as paying with a credit card or tapping to pay with your credit card or using Apple Pay or, or Google Pay, like, right? On your phone, like, it's just going to be something you just do. And you just say, yeah, I want to pay with this cryptocurrency, right? And it's not going to, you don't even think about it. Like, I think a lot of people don't even carry cash anymore, myself included. I rarely have cash on me. Yeah. So in- True. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah. When you think about young people, they don't deal with cash at all. So in some ways, like, I get it's not a cryptocurrency if I'm just using my bank card, but it's almost the same thing. Like, do I really care at the end of the day what currency that's in? If this is X amount of dollars and I know I have that in my account, whatever account that is, and I just tap my phone to pay and I get it, or I can trade something physical for something virtual or vice versa, does it really matter the currency? Like, most people don't care, right? The vast majority of people do not care. And this is where the kind of crypto versus whatever, it, it, you can look at things like um, all people really care is about utility, um, being able to transfer easily, sure. and things like that. Um, can I use whatever it is to pay for this? The other side of it, though, which is the more um, systemic part, is you, you don't care about this other stuff until you do. And when you look at, like, yeah. Weimar, Germany, you know, like a, an industrial country like uh, Germany in less than a hundred years ago, um, burning Reichmarks for heat. You know, these are not academic questions. And right now when you get societal, like upheaval like that, this is the type of stuff that leads to massive um, problems society wise. When you have an entire nation's, you know, savings destroyed by hyperinflation, um, you get unrest. So, People don't care about what currency, whatever they use, as long as it works. But in those times when all of a sudden that no longer is operative and whatever you're holding goes to zero, yeah. um, people care a lot. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, I think at, at some point people are going to get paid in cryptocurrency. Their entire life will be crypto, right? Maybe in our lifetime. I, I think so completely. I mean... Um, there are people right now that only take payments in crypto. Uh, the only the problems with really are the utility and the way it touches up in the real world. One of the things that we're working on um, and that we were in front of the FCC is a cryptocurrency that's backed by U.S. Treasuries. Oh, okay. And how it's about removing the volatility, removing some of the you know the problems with auditing and putting it into a really you know, a regulated uh, 1940 Act fund structure that gives the protections of that um, and allowing people to use all the utility of a cryptocurrency, you know, the moving it around, the interacting with this ecosystem, but having kind of the, the underlying security of a U.S. Treasury. Um, so that we're hoping solves some of those payment systems where you're able to pay people anywhere in the world um, with this and not having to worry about it going, you know, up or down. Um, it has a yield, and all of a sudden, the utility of cryptocurrency has become much greater. Because, like, if you start working with people in a foreign company, uh, country and you have to pay them, they have to set up bank accounts, yeah. um, you know, you have wire delays. There, there are really difficult things. I hadn't really worked with that many uh, foreign um, contributors before, but there are actually logistical problems with dealing with the current banking system if you're not in it or unbanked or whatever you can definitely see the utility yeah. of something like this no make well to be 100 honest with you even transferring money between canada and the u.s and we're so close and we're both obviously i think pretty modern societies not <laughs> the probably the most modern globally but just transferring money between North America is tricky, never mind trying to go to Mexico, right? But between Canada and the U.S., there's a delay. Unless you send PayPal, I guess, but that's kind of another currency, right? In some ways, you could maybe argue PayPal is its own cryptocurrency. Sure, it's just dollars, but you convert to their PayPal, whatever, right? So you have to convert it and then convert it back. and So... It's days, like if I use Square to send you money with my Visa from my bank account, you'll get it in 24 or 48 hours or longer. Yep. Yep. Or, or Stripe, And sorry, also or depending yeah. on 
what the bank says. Yeah. Um, maybe you're sending it to somebody that they're not sure about or they don't sure. like this transaction or whatever it is. I've run into this a bunch of times um, with large, you know, dealing with people in this industry. And even though you're not breaking the law and yeah. dealing with these things are difficult, you can run up against banks that will close your accounts um, just for uh, doing things that they're not, it's not illegal, but nothing that they want to have anything to do with. So all of a sudden, what you know should just be a facilitator of your money transfer is now actually a gatekeeper yeah, on sending this. Like I, I've had many times where I'm like trying to send a contractor a payment, and it's been held up because there was some sort of fraud alert. They can't even tell me what it was, you know. And it's not held up in the sense where my money hasn't been sent. The money's been taken out of my account. Right. It just hasn't been put into their account. Yeah, it sits in know? some weird limbo, right? And you're like, well, where right. is it? <laughs> exactly. And you're like, okay, um, while you work that out, how about you return it to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, and so this is when you, when you start to deal with things like that, you realize, wait a minute, you actually don't have any control over that money. And while you like your trusted institution when they're working for you, but all of a sudden, if for some reason you're at odds, or a new view on your business or whatever it is changes. Yeah. Wait a minute. They actually have the power to really seize that completely in a, you know, without any judicial process or anything like this is all of a sudden you're like, I see the benefit of not having to go through a third party. Yep. And it doesn't have to be about like, uh, like subverting the law or trying to get around regulations. It can be just about doing things easier and safer yeah. and more conveniently and yeah. timely. Interesting. So would you guys ever potentially launch your own cryptocurrency? Um, well, we, our plan is, like I said, to launch um, this uh, treasury-backed uh, securities token. So okay. it will be a, a token that will interact with the crypto ecosystem, Okay. Um, but it will be backed by okay, so, you know, okay. a underlying 1940 Act fund product. Okay. Um, we could potentially... Uh, launch something in the future. I'm not saying no to anything, but that's right. not on our that's not immediate road. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Because if you have a bunch, I guess my thought behind that was if you have a bunch of people that are already investing with you, you could potentially mm-hmm. spin off your own cryptocurrency. And yeah, but it does make sense if it's backed by, they're probably going to feel a lot better if it's backed by a treasury or something, right? Yeah, makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, that's our value proposition, not sure. on any of the ones that aren't backed. But what we're trying to do is where we see the really big dollars and movements in the system is not really getting people that are currently involved in this ecosystem. This is 0.00001% you know, yeah. of the current financial system. Got you. It's how do you start to get the people that are not concerned, you know, they're not wanting to disrupt the entire system. Sure. How do you get pensions and endowments? the actual systems to start to use this. And we thought a treasury product, you know, solves things in the ecosystem, but also allows people that are interested in this to experiment with it, but without, you know, with the comfort of, Oh, there's a fund board. Um, This is, you know, a 40, the highest, we think the most, you know, difficult and high threshold of an investment product, you know, 1940 act um, investment company product. So this is where we're going, you know, and we presented to the SEC um, they were very thoughtful in their questions and they very much seem like they want to figure out a way to have, you know, a real regulatory framework around this without stifling innovation, but without, you know, abdicating their mandates of investor protection. Um, because like, it's a little bit like the wild west, um, in this industry right now. And, you know, a lot of people have, you know, in this massive, exciting run up lost quite a bit of money. Sure. in this, um, you know, come back to earth. So they are concerned that people that do not understand the risks are getting involved um, and do not understand that when they invest in this stuff, the people behind it, and there's none of the, you know, the processes and structures that are currently around like securities offerings through exchanges. So they're being very thoughtful on how, what do you, what's the balance to strike between not doing anything um, and having things like this go to Malta, and how do we do things that actually bring people in? So I don't know how they're going to um, respond to us. I was very pleased that they were approaching it in such a thoughtful way. Yeah, interesting. 
But we're we're coming to the end of the show, so maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention. Sure. Um, right now, um, you can go to our website is um, ar.ca. Um, so that's just ARCA. Um, and we you can follow through the investor portal if you're a qualified institutional buyer and get material on our hedge funds and other products. Um, we, w- we are in the middle of a rebrand and revamp. Um, so it may be changing, you know, just the look and feel. It's, you know, it's a sparse site while we're going through uh, some of these other processes. Gotcha. But there's going to be a lot of stuff for like ed- investor education at any level there. Um, and, you know, you can sign up to receive our materials. We have something called Two Satoshis, um, a Medium site, and all of this is available through the website. But go there for the moment, um, and if you're interested in our stuff, um, sign up to receive it through our investor education portal. And we put out a weekly uh, newsletter called Two Satoshis. You know, it's an interesting look at the overall crypto environment, how we see it, and, uh, you know, how we think about it. Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time under your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. All right. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It was a great talk. Thanks. You as well, man. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.